Thank you so much, Mel. It's just um, such a privilege, isn't it, to be able to be amongst dear friends, both new and old. And I feel that when Mel reads the Bible and when Erin introduces and suddenly you just know this is very precious, isn't it? It's deeply precious. So um, let's just pray um, before I begin. And um, I'm quite excited really to be able to talk to us about what Paul is saying tonight in Philippians. So, Lord, I just want to reiterate my gratitude to you tonight for providing such beautiful sisters in Christ, people that have walked long journeys together and people who are just new and, and just beginning to learn what it's like to walk with this particular group of women. I want to just commend us to you tonight. Lord, I know that you have been saying things to me through this passage and I just really pray that for everyone here that the ears will be open and their hearts will be open to hear what special thing it is that you have for them tonight. And I thank you that we can do this together, knowing that you love us and knowing that you care for us. Amen. Okay. So here we are in our third week of the Philippians immersion. And um, it's a very personal, in some ways, raw letter that um, Paul is writing to the Philippian Christians, I think. And so... Let's just have a reminder of of where we started. Remember, Ruth introduced us to a church that Paul had great hope in. Remember, she talked about seeds. And if you weren't here, it's fine. I'm just sort of catching you up too. Um, Remember, she talked about seeds. What is it that God has for you to do as, as a group, as a community of God? And then last week, um, Rachel helped us to imagine the scene of the Philippian church. Now, they're a group of believers who are in some stress. They're aware that their leader, Paul, is in prison. And Paul's imprisonment, well, it's led to his absence, hasn't it? And absence always seems to lead to a bit of a vacuum of power and authority in which all kinds of people are eager to exploit and and grab influence if they can. So Paul seems to be anxious about that. And I thought last week as, as Rachel talked to us, you know, how tenuous is this group of new believers? <laughs> They're Jews and, and Roman citizens in a city right in the middle of the mighty Roman Empire, flung together <laughs> with perhaps nothing much else in common than their faith in Jesus. You know? And I, I could see how Paul was just so encouraged that even though he was in prison, they hadn't forgotten about him. (laughs) They sent him the present from the beautifully named Epaphroditus. I can't even see you, Mel. (laughs) Um, And Paul was really keen to let them know that his imprisonment wasn't actually a sign that all was lost, that the gospel was failing. Rather, Paul made the extraordinary claim that his suffering wasn't failure, but somehow mysteriously part of 
the resurrection richness of Paul's life in Jesus and Jesus' life in Paul. So I thought to myself, well, and you can ask yourself this question too. Have, have I felt very alone lately? Have, have I felt at the mercy of powers larger than myself, of things beyond my control? Has, in the middle of that, some unlooked-for act of kindness pulled me back into hope? Here in this amazing and, and challenging part of his letter that we had read to us tonight by Mel, Paul, cheered by the love and the faith of the Philippians, with the sign of that present that he sent, they sent, and cheered by his trust in Christ, continues to rally these followers of Jesus to stand firm, to stand together and to not be intimidated. And how are they to do this? With and in and through humility. What a strategy. I can't help but think that Paul did not have a marketing woman put this package together. Because how comfortable are you about the idea of humility? How comfortable am I? (laughs) How comfortable am I about the idea of humiliation? How comfortable are you about that idea? Because this is a central challenge of the passage that we're going to dig into tonight. We're going to look at three questions about humility. What is it? How do we get it? And what difference does it really make? So what is humility? How do we get humility? And what difference does humility make? So what is humility? The English word humility is derived from the Latin word humilis, not humiles, humilis, meaning low. And this root word is also associated to the word humus, meaning from the soil. So a sense of lowliness. And this is the constant in the story of humility through the Bible and really through the last 2,000 years. Now Paul's understanding of humility has two, as a couple, probably many, but it's a couple of dimensions that I want to talk to you about tonight. Firstly, our very condition as human beings. We desire God. We're oriented towards eternity and yet we're very limited and broken creatures. In our daily lives, we're continually confronted with with the wounds that we carry, maybe from our childhood, maybe from day-to-day living. We're confronted with our inability to remake ourselves, despite trying blooming hard most of the time. We're confronted with our personal failures, with our public failures. We're confronted with our mortality. We're confronted with our inability to be God. We're powerless to save ourselves. So that is the first sort of humility that each of us as human creatures shares. Secondly, humility has 
material and social implications. It's not just a spiritual or an emotional state. Humility, says Paul, is the relinquishing or the absence of the right to social status. So think of these understandings of humility, our condition as human beings, and also the implications of that for our renunciation of our social status. All right? Think of these when we hear Paul saying to the believers in Philippi in those first verses of, of chapter 2, be of one mind, that is literally set our minds on the same thing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Value others above ourselves. Value others above yourself. Don't look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Well, how are you feeling about humility? How are you going at this? Is it as uncomfortable for you as it is for me? And I know this shouldn't be about me, but feel for me, because here I am, up the front, and I've got a daughter and a daughter-in-law listening to me to say this. And most of you are my friends, you know, people who know me. I, my boss is even here. So I'm asking you, don't ask them, but they could tell you some truths now about how I'm going with this, I'm sure. All right. So we're all in the same boat here. Who can save us from the impossibility of humility? That's what I found myself saying. Which leads neatly to, how do we get it? Okay. So now we've reached the part in Philippians 2, verse 5 to verse 11, where Paul just bursts literally into song, into poetry. We're not sure if Paul is quoting an ancient hymn here, or if he wrote it himself. Academics vary. We just know that we're landing on territory that can only be expressed with the wonder of poetry. Jesus Christ, eternal God who emptied himself of his honour, who emptied himself of his status in every way, even becoming the lowliest of men, a slave, a servant. If, like me, you think, when did he, when is he a servant? Do you remember the, I mean, many times he called himself the suffering servant, but as well when he washed the feet of the disciples, took on that place of a servant. Jesus, beloved God, vulnerable, vulnerable to the human condition, limited, Hungry, thirsty, tired, fearful, grief-stricken, sweaty, dirty, bloody, mortal, despised, rejected, living in a land and a culture ruled by human powers and authorities, ruled by empires and religious leaders. Jesus, beloved God, Poor and living with the poor, identifying with the poor, suffering, 
sorrowing. Jesus, beloved God, offering, trusting, loving, vulnerable obedience always to God the Father. God the Father, pouring out love and delight always to Christ. The outpouring and the returning of selfless love. Father, outpouring. Son, returning. Father, outpouring. Son, returning love. And in this image of our dynamic God, Trinity, as we later came to call the Father, Son and Spirit. In the image of our dynamic God, movement and flow of eternal life and trust, Paul sings to us of the truth of our God and the selfless love which flows at his very core and therefore at the core of all he has created. Here we have our God who both gives and receives who demonstrates weakness and strength, humility and beauty, gift and obedience. Our God who suffers, our God who dies. Jesus does the self-giving, which we just cannot do ourselves. And then from this self-giving comes life, comes exaltation. The glory of God is selfless love. The glory of the universe, the praise and wonder, the joy, the pulsing life is the humility of our God. Jesus Christ who gives himself, who gives himself, who loves, who is love, never ending. And participation in this relationship is what Jesus has opened up for us. Reconciliation with God. So that we can participate in this dance of receiving and of giving, of obedience. The love of God flowing through us and from us to others. And the love of Jesus expressed in his humility, his selflessness. If you've got your Bible open, you'll notice that the heading above chapter 2 is imitating Christ's humility. Now, those sort of headings are put there by translators. Paul didn't write a whole load of headings through his letter. So I feel a bit cheeky, but also okay in saying, I don't agree with that heading. Just because it seems to me to be a pretty poor description of the heart, the mind and the soul recovery and transformation offered to us by the selfless, real and eternal love of Jesus. You can chat about that more in your groups later. Okay. So all of this is almost too much to describe, I think, (laughs) let alone take in. And I think it's time, perhaps, to get practical with humility 
And Paul certainly does in the next part of this text. What difference does humility make? Well, what difference does it make? I sort of want to annoy you by saying, first of all, before I go there, I want, to, I want, to help, I want us to see what humility isn't. Right? So humility is not worthlessness. We're worth so much to Jesus that he chose to become one of us, to suffer with us and for us. So that's the level of our worth. So Jesus never expressed feeling worthless, even though his character, his nature is one of great humility. So it's not worthlessness. Another thing humility is not, it is not self-hate. How could the God whose very nature is love encourage or express hatred of self. So if you're like me and you have sometimes felt worthless, if you're like me and you've sometimes experienced self-hate, know that this is not what Paul is inviting us into here at all. And another word of caution. Humility is freely offered. Jesus freely offered himself for us. The Father never compelled him. Compulsion and domination are not in the nature of our God who freely gives and won for us our freedom. There is a significant and vital difference between a a self freely offered and a self compelled to submit to another. So, what's the difference that humility makes? Well, humility makes a difference inside us and in our relationships and probably in lots of other ways too, but they're the two I'm going to quickly talk about. Inside us. Humility frees us to simply be the beloved of God, to be truly ourselves, free, as Paul says, to shine as stars in the sky. It's about trusting God enough to replace our self-sufficiency with God-sufficiency. We sang about that so beautifully in so many ways at the beginning of tonight. Death to self is the unlikely but true path to life. This is not an easy message. How does... God's sufficiency sound to you. It's not an easy message in a world in love with self-sufficiency. I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, the truth is it's actually hard work defending ourselves in our territory. It's hard work pushing ourselves forward. It's hard work pretending we're perfect. It's hard work fighting for our share of resources and fighting for acknowledgement and fighting, fighting, fighting in a world of scarcity and threat. That's actually hard work. The world tells us that's the natural way. But Paul reminds us of a deeper reality, that we live in the unlimited love of God. Love is not a scarce resource, subject to competition 
but it's eternally generated by the self-offering of Jesus and the gift of the Father. The inner peace which humility grows in us brings stability amidst the sufferings and the uncertainties of this life. And perhaps this brings us right back to the word humus. Do you remember I was sort of saying that that soil, they were sort of linked together? And I thought, well, humus soil is deep and solid and in 21st century lingo groundedness, isn't it? And Paul says, and I'm now just sort of you know, paraphrasing his last few, few verses there. You can talk about it more in your groups, but this is what Paul says. Paul says, humility looks like awe and wonder. Because here Paul writes about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's serious and it's beautiful. Humility is a proper sense of ourself in a creation of wonders. Humility slows down and humility listens. So the second point, humility makes a difference in our relationships. Humility is in fact the basis for right relationships in life. Humility breeds compassion. When we're able to look without fear and shame because of Jesus at ourselves and see with honesty our own failings, we can look upon each other's lives with compassion and kindness. It is compassion which warms our hearts and therefore it also warms the hearts of our neighbours. Warmed hearts are more open to the love of Jesus. Humility is wide and it's embracing. There's room for all. Humility is not about an exclusive huddle, is it? Because humility honours difference. Humility says thank you. I'm now thinking about Paul again. And it acknowledges our need for each other. For me, as I read this passage, humility is Paul revealing to the believers in Philippi that he needs them and he needs their kindness, that he needs Timothy, that he needs Epaphroditus. Humility is Paul saying, you know, Christ utterly fills me with joy and at the same time I'm filled with sorrow and anxiety. Humility is the deep truth and love of God which brings us together as sisters in the grace and the self-giving of Jesus Christ. And I said at the beginning how my friends, my family would be looking at me, knowing me as I'm saying all this. I just want to finish by saying there's one other who's watching me tonight and I think he thinks, and it's not David who's snuck in the back, I just didn't realize, um, Jesus Christ. And I think he's smiling a lot because he knows my life journey. He knows my struggle with pride and shame. And he knows that somehow, finally, in however many years now, I've learnt what surrender means, even though I haven't learnt it every day, but I've learnt, I've learnt that he can be trusted.
that's what I mean. So I think someone's watching me tonight and he's smiling and saying, well, that took a bit of courage and you did it. And you're going to be doing it every day. (laughs) I just want to um, finish with this lovely poem from Mary Oliver, which I, I have slightly rewritten, so no one tell her copyright owners. Um, <laughs> and I feel that this relates to Paul. I feel that this relates to me. I feel that this relates to being a human, and I feel that it relates to Jesus. I too have known loneliness. I too have known what it is to feel misunderstood, rejected and suddenly not at all beautiful. Oh Jesus, your comfort is great and your arms never withhold. It saved my life to know this. Amen. Thanks so much, Jane. You've given us lots to think about. We live in this world of um, of God's love, and um, yeah, as we think about in our groups um, about what we've just heard and what we read in in the Word, um, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for your words. Thank you for uh, Jane for speaking them. Lord, I just pray as we go out. Um, and, and study them further, that you would just have us hear uh, what you want us to hear. Amen. Uh, uh, if you'd like to grab um, a cup of tea and then head into your groups quickly, that'd be great. If you're unsure of uh, where you're going or uh, where your group is going, please come and talk to either Joe or I. Enjoy.